Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Kim Roberts coming to you from South Lake, Texas. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we discuss financial abuse of the elderly. Some charity scams target old people, but there are things you can do to protect yourself and your family. A new law will require Christian ministries to file their Form 990s electronically. I'll explain why that's a good thing, but it won't solve the problems at the IRS. We begin today with new developments in the case of the AME Church's retirement funds. Yeah, you might remember the story that we did a couple of weeks ago that the AME Church had stopped making payments to retired ministers covered by its pension plan earlier this year after a 2021 audit found that two-thirds of that denomination's retirement funds had been lost in risky investments in a venture capital company and in a real estate deal. Now, this week comes the follow-up, the news that the AARP, American Association of Retired Persons Foundation Attorneys, will act as co-counsel in what has become a class action lawsuit, in fact, three class action lawsuits, alleging that the African Methodist Episcopal AME Church mishandled about $90 million in retirement funds, that according to the organization. The lawsuit was filed March 22nd, in the U.S. District Court for the District of Maryland. About 5,000 former and current clergy and other employees of the AME Church, and by the way, I should stipulate this is not the AME Zion Church, were allegedly led to falsely believe, as a result of their financial statements, that their investments were in fact growing. The suit names the AME Church's Department of Retirement Services, as well as financial advisors Newport Group Incorporated and Symmetra Financial Corporation as defendants, saying that they should have known that the information provided to participants was inaccurate. The AME Church is the oldest black church in the United States and one of the largest Protestant denominations in the country with more than two and a half million members. Ministers and other employees were required to contribute a portion of their salaries into the retirement plan, and they could, in fact, choose to invest more. Our next story involves the Southern Baptist Convention. A Florida pastor who was a leading candidate for president of the Southern Baptist Convention has withdrawn from the race after a crisis involving a former deacon at his church. Yeah, the Reverend Willie Rice is this pastor's name. He was the pastor of Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida. He was one of several candidates hoping to succeed the current SBC president, Ed Litton, who is an Alabama pastor, that announced uh, just last month that he would not seek a second term as president. Now, in recent years, the SBC has faced a number of challenges. They include declining membership, battles over race and politics, and the aftermath of a major newspaper investigation that found hundreds of cases of sexual abuse. This summer, Southern Baptist will review a report on how SBC leaders have dealt with the issue of sexual abuse in recent months. Is that why Rice's candidacy became controversial? Well, that could certainly be one of the reasons. Rice's church had ordained a deacon who was a former school teacher and had admitted to having sex with an 18-year-old student back in the mid-2000s. That deacon also led a faith-based nonprofit organization and serves on a faith-based committee that advises Florida's legislature and governor. This past weekend, Rice announced the deacon was stepping down, 
and told his church the deacon's past conduct could be considered abusive and that ordaining him had been a mistake. Yeah, Rice also said that the church would change its leadership standards. Now, those are all good and appropriate steps to take, but even with all of these changes, the controversy was not really a good look for somebody wanting to leave the denomination. And given how close the elections for SBC president have been in recent years, Rice and his supporters apparently came to the conclusion that this was just not his year. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a megachurch that some describe as a cult is punching back against accusations of sex crimes. I'm Kim Roberts, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to SaveTheStorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Kim Roberts, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break, a strange story about a California megachurch sex crimes, and accusations of prosecutorial misconduct. Yeah, the defense team for the leader of a California Spanish-language megachurch who was accused of sex crimes, including grooming and raping teenage girls and possessing child pornography, has filed a lengthy motion ahead of his May trial, accusing the prosecution of fabricating and hiding evidence. Now, Nason Joaquim Garcia is a self-proclaimed apostle and leader of a church called La Luz del Mundo which, of course, is Spanish for light of the world. It's a Mexican evangelical church that claims to have 5 million followers worldwide. Now, he faces multiple counts of forcible rape and other sex crimes against a minor, human trafficking, and possession of child pornography. Garcia and two co-defendants allegedly committed sex crimes and produced child pornography involving five women and girls from the church between 2015 and 2018. Officials said the girls were threatened that if they, quote, went against any desires or wishes of the apostle, they were going against God. Yeah, Garcia has pleaded not guilty to the charges, and his lawyers have continued to maintain his innocence, as has the church itself. Uh, The 221-page motion claims the California Attorney General's office fabricated false evidence and deleted and concealed exculpatory evidence, and that Garcia's due process rights had been, and this is a quote from the document, trampled and crushed beneath the boot of a prosecution hell-bent on winning a conviction no matter the cost. That's the end of the quote. An appeals court initially dropped allegations against Garcia, saying that a preliminary hearing was not held in a timely manner. 
Uh, then the state of California refiled charges in August of 2020, and his bail was set at a whopping $50 million. Well, our next story involves the exploitation of the elderly. Yeah, it does. And Kim, I'm going to suspend our normal format here a bit for talking about a story because this is one that you wrote yourself. What did you learn in your reporting? Well, Warren, I did learn a lot writing this. And first, I learned that much of the nation's wealth, an estimated $18 trillion, is currently in the hands of those considered elderly. That makes them a huge target for dishonest actors. And the problem will likely get even more acute because by 2030, one in five Americans will be 65 or older. Yeah, including me, by the way. (laughs) So I can see how that might be a problem because as we get older, our memory fades sometimes, uh, problems with cognitive abilities as well. There's also a lot of elderly people who are just experiencing loneliness and other issues that make them easy targets for dishonest people that might be reaching out to them on the phone and in other ways. Um, But are there, Kim, legal protections for the elderly in these situations? Well, there are some. The Older Americans Act is a federal law. It's one example, but it was passed way back in 1965. The Department of Justice also has the Elder Justice Initiative that works to prosecute crimes against the elderly, including telemarketing, mass mailing, and tech support scams. The Senior Safe Act from 2018 provides immunity from suit to trained individuals of a financial institution who report in good faith suspected financial exploitation of a senior citizen. And over the last several years, 41 states, the District of Columbia and the U.S. Virgin Islands have enacted legislation requiring more severe penalties for elder exploitation. Well, that's a lot, but all these initiatives apparently are still not enough. No, there are over 8.68 million cases of elder financial abuse in the United States each year, and losses exceed $113 billion. Wow, that's amazing. Well, Kim, I got to say, I found your story very helpful, in part because it included a section on what family members and caregivers can do to help prevent fraud. Uh, So let's just leave the story here for now. But I do want to encourage all of our listeners to go to ministrywatch.com and look for Kim Roberts' story on the front page. It's called Elder Financial Exploitation on the Rise. Uh, Read it and share it with your family and friends. Well, Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our weekly lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Kim Roberts with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. 
I'm Kim Roberts, sitting in for Natasha Smith this week. I'm here with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, next up is our weekly lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is the Taxpayer First Act. It was passed in 2019, and uh, some of the provisions are just now coming into effect. They hope to clarify and give transparency to a number of internal revenue service operations, including some that will have a direct impact on Christian nonprofits. One of those provisions impacts the way nonprofits file Form 990s. Yeah, under the terms of the 2019 law, the IRS is required to provide notice to any nonprofit that fails to file a Form 990 return or postcard for two consecutive years. The notice must inform organization leaders of the missing documents and disclose that their tax exempt status will be canceled if the organization fails to file a return or a postcard by the due date for the next return or postcard. I should mention, Kim, that one of the reasons for this provision is that some organizations have discovered to their surprise that their nonprofit status has been revoked. They say they haven't been getting notifications from the IRS. This new provision hopefully will put an end to that. Uh, the notice must also contain information about how to meet the annual information return and postcard requirements. But the most wide-ranging impact of the bill might be a requirement that tax-exempt organizations now have to file their Form 990s electronically. They can't do it through the mail anymore. And you think that's a big deal? Well, I do. It's uh, In fact, it's a huge deal. And, and I can tell you that it has affected us directly here at Ministry Watch. During the COVID crisis, uh, the IRS simply stopped processing paper form 990s for a while because of some evidence that suggests that the COVID-19 virus could live for a while on those paper forms. And what has happened is that over the last two or three years, there's been this massive backlog. In fact, if you go to the Ministry Watch 1000 database, you'll discover that a lot of ministries don't have financial information more recent than 2019. So 2020, 2021 information not up on the site. That's not because we here at Ministry Watch are negligent or because the ministries themselves were negligent at filing those forms. It was simply because there is this massive nearly two-year backlog of processing Form 990s by the IRS. So this change to make sure that all the forms have to be processed electronically will, in fact, probably be easier for most nonprofit organizations. It will reduce that backlog to a certain extent. Uh, I got to say, though, that it probably won't completely solve the problems of the IRS. The IRS is in some way still living in the 20th century and not in the 21st century, but this new law should help a lot. Well, Warren, next up is Ministry Watch's list of the month. And this month is a list of organizations that get an F transparency grade from Ministry Watch. Yeah, you know, Ministry Watch stands for transparency and accountability. That's why we think it's important for Christian ministries to be as transparent as possible with donors and with the public. So Ministry Watch grades every ministry in its database, as I said a moment ago, about a thousand ministries that we have in the Ministry 1000 database. And today we have now on the website, we actually released it about a week or 10 days ago, a list of ministries that have received a failing or F grade. Uh, that's about 15 out of the 1,000 ministries. And how do you arrive at that grade? 
Well, our transparency grade evaluates the ease with which donors can see into the finances of a ministry. And we look at three things. Number one, does the organization complete and make publicly available its Form 990? We just talked about that form and how important it is. Uh, Secondly, the completion and public release of an audited financial statement. If the ministry is less than a million dollars, we will allow a reviewed and not a full audit financial statement. But um, to be honest with you, we don't have a lot of ministries in our database with less than a million dollars in revenue. So the audit requirement is pretty solid for most ministries. And thirdly, membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. And our grading system is just really simple. If you can say yes to all three of those, an audit, a Form 990, and membership in the ECFA, you get an A, A transparency grade. If you can answer yes to two out of three, you'll receive a C. One out of three will earn you a D. And if you can't answer yes to any of those three standards, then you'll receive a transparency grade of F. And as you said before, about 15 ministries in the database got an F grade. Yeah, that's right. But we have transparency grades for virtually all of the ministries in our database. So you can see the grade of your favorite ministry by going to the ministrywatch.com website and clicking on the bright red Ministry Watch 1000 database button, which is up at the top of the page. And by the way, I should also add that if you don't see your favorite ministry there, send me an email and we'll consider adding it. We do have a minimum requirement before we add a ministry, as I just said. The main requirement is one of size. Right now, we tend not to add a ministry that has less than about three or three and a half million dollars in revenue, but we'll consider adding a ministry even smaller than that if they have a national donor base or they've been in the news and we think that there'd be a lot of interest in that ministry. So again, send us your suggestions. My email address is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. Well, what ministries did Christina Darnell spotlight in her Ministries Make a Difference column this week? Well, one of them is the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. It's a a ministry that we actually feature quite a lot there because they're doing some pretty great work around the world. Uh, They deployed teams of chaplains to various parts of the world in the last two weeks. One team deployed to Ukraine to work alongside its partner ministry, Samaritan's Purse, uh, in an emergency field hospital where chaplains are offering comfort to families forced to flee their homes in Ukraine. Other teams uh, were deployed to Texas and Louisiana after tornadoes ripped through the region there. I also want to mention Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. They're partnering with Convoy of Hope to distribute crisis care kits that are filled with first aid, toiletries, and other critical supplies to displaced Ukrainians. Last week, a Nazarene Compassionate Ministries president and director, Nell Becker Sweden, traveled to the Ukrainian border herself uh, to help with the relief efforts. NCM, by the way, is a five-star rated ministry at Ministry Watch. It has an A transparency grade. Now you know what that means because we just explained it a few minutes ago. And in uh, 2021, we named it one of our Shining Light Ministries, which means it was among the very best of the best. I also want to give a shout out to Mission Eurasia and Lipscomb University. We've got news about them at the Ministry Watch website as well. Any final thoughts before we go, Warren? 
Well, just a quick reminder that there's a new way that you can give to Ministry Watch. Uh, you can now give via text. As I mentioned last week, <laughs> this is not my preferred way of giving, but that's because I'm kind of old school. If this is the way you prefer to give, you can just text at Ministry Watch to 52014. Again, that's at Ministry Watch, and I learned that that at sign is important, at Ministry Watch at 52014. I tried it myself. It was pretty easy, even for an old guy like me. So if I can do it, I guess just about anybody can. Also, I again want to remind you that if you have a story or a ministry that you'd like for us to cover, maybe you think they need a closer look, just email us. I already shared with you my personal email address a few moments ago. Uh, that's wsmith at ministrywatch.com. That email will come directly to my desk, and we'll take it from there. And finally, a reminder that you can help the program, even if you don't are not able to give us anything financially, by A, praying for us, and B, rating us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for other people to find us. It's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Seddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Kim Roberts, Bob Smitana, and Christina Darnell. A special thanks to the Nonprofit Times for contributing material for this week's program. I'm Kim Roberts in South Lake, Texas. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.